Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 182 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Olivia Mead, who is the head of Yoga for First Responders. Yoga for First Responders is a nonprofit organization that provides yoga training that, as she puts it, is job-specific and culturally informed. So we unpack what that means on this episode. And I just found her whole approach, Olivia's whole approach, to be really fascinating and really smart. Before she started teaching first responders, she went through police academy and fire academy so that she could understand what people go through on the job and so that she could use the correct language and she could present yoga in such a way that it would resonate quickly with first responders and give them ways to associate yoga in an immediate way to how they can use it on the job. So that's her whole goal with teaching first responders is to give them very practical yogic tools that they can use in their day-to-day lives. So she talks about breathing. She talks about body mechanics instead of calling it asana, which I think is so smart. And she talks about neuro reset with them, which is really like meditation, concentration, you know, single pointed focus. So I love talking to her. She has a very short teacher training program. If you are already 200 hours certified, you can go and do her additional program and become trained to understand how to work with first responders. And she's also developing a longer program, which we talk about in the interview. So enjoy the interview with Olivia. Well, thanks so much for being here, Olivia. I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I want to just give a little shout out before we start to to Russ, I don't know, Narig, I'm guessing how to say his last name. That's how we say it. I haven't heard it said before. So that's how okay. I say it in my head. So I think you're right. <laughs> well, Russ is a longtime listener of the podcast and emails me every once in a while and always just really thoughtful emails. And he emailed to recommend you to me, which was great because I have been wanting to do something on first responders for a really long time. So it just came at the perfect time. And I'm so glad he introduced us. Me too. We love Russ. We love Russ. He's been one of, came to one of our first trainings and he's a sweet guy and a great teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I love it. I love when the connections from the podcast actually work and I get to meet Mm -hmm. cool people and I'm just sitting in here in my house producing this. It's pretty amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have an awesome organization that you've been running for a long time. And I want to just start by asking you how you decided to start teaching yoga to first responders. Yeah. So right before I started teaching public safety first responders, I was teaching for veterans and military. Specifically, I was teaching for veterans who struggle with post-traumatic stress, living in the VA. And that was that was my go-to. You know, I had been teaching yoga for maybe 10 years before that point. And, you know, when I was teaching in studios, some I, I loved my students, great relationship with students. I, I enjoyed my time there. But with some studios, there was something missing for me. And how I studied yoga, how I learned yoga, what I know yoga to be was not what some studios were asking me to teach. And they had a real emphasis on the playlist I used, the heat of the room, even the outfit that I wore. 
And I know that's a lot about business, right? Yoga is a billion dollar industry. There are businesses, yoga studios are business. They have branding around them. And I never want to knock anyone for their business practices because it was working. They were very popular studios. They were, you know, doing what they intended to do. So I'm not knocking that, but it wasn't fulfilling me. It wasn't filling my cup. It made me feel empty. It made me feel like I was doing a disservice hmm. to the true yoga practice. So I was like, God, I need to I need to find a medium, I need to find a way, a channel to really teach true, authentic practices of yoga. Who will accept that? Hmm. Who will, yeah. will want that? You yeah, know? what population is looking for like <laughs> Yeah, not an, it was not looking for a playlist, playlist and sort of a trendier right. sort of feel. Right. Yeah. Well, because in, <clears throat> that's exactly it. Because where I was at the time, I was teaching in studios in Beverly Hills, is that was a population who wanted exactly that sort of trendy approach to yoga. Okay. So, you know, good. That's They have that. They have their studio. But what is exactly what's the population that wants what I have to offer? Another part of it is I just feel that we should all be of service, period, but all be of service to our community, to our country in one way or another. And my way of being of service, I was like, I could offer yoga to a population who actually would need it and need these practices. So veterans is what first came to to my mind. And I looked up, I Googled a training to teach trauma-sensitive yoga to veterans an active military and I found it and I got trained and I was reading and besides my training I was reading books on you know alternative training for military and the military mindset and I was really diving in to get to know this population and then I was teaching them for a little bit and I was enjoying that and I was sitting in my car in LA you know in Santa Monica and I was talking to my mom on the phone and a fire truck went blaring by and I was, and I think I may have been talking to my mom about some project I was doing with veterans or something, because we were sort of in that subject. And I said, oh, hold on, there's a siren. Hmm. And then she said, well, why aren't you teaching yoga to first responders? Wow, like, that's pretty cool <laughs> that your mom thought of that. Yeah. And then I felt like a really big idiot because I was like, well, duh. Like, yeah. yes. And, and the thing that I caught myself in, why I kind of felt sort of almost embarrassed about not thinking about them is because a lot of times we don't think about them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. because we're going to call 911 and they are going to be there hmm. no matter what. We know that. And it's something I think we take for granted. It's something that we expect. And I was caught in that. You know, I, I was, there was so much, so much talk about veterans and military and post-traumatic stress with them as there should be. But that conversation is so prevalent that I just sort of skipped over the domestic combat, you could say, that first responders see. Because the populations I was dealing with, they might they would go on deployments and then they come back, and they're then they're acclimating back to civilian life if they're no longer active duty or or what have you. But first responders are literally going into maybe a battle maybe not, that's it's the unexpected, hmm. every single day for 30 years. And it's, you know, when you're on deployment, okay, you're totally there, you're living and sleeping and working with your your team. But 
here at home, you go to work and then you have to come back and be a mother or a father or a spouse or whatever. So you have to emotionally transition back and forth on and off, you know? So I was like, oh my God, yes, like 100%. And so I Googled yoga for first responders and nothing came up. Hmm. I couldn't find anyone who was doing this publicly, I guess, or, you know, really commercializing that they're doing it so that I could see it. And there were no trainings for it either. So I just had to, I had to do it myself. Yeah. I need to back way up and ask you a really basic question that I should have, I should have researched before this conversation, but I'm assuming that first responders encompasses fire and police. Is there another group that I'm missing or groups that would fall under that umbrella? Yeah, that's a great question. So only recently have dispatchers been classified now as first responders and not clerical staff, which is a really huge leap and an important leap because they 100% are first responders in their job and in the cumulative and traumatic stress that they experience. So that's why I like to say public safety instead of first responders, because when we say first, I mean, no, that's the name of my organization is Yoga for First Responders. But sometimes people just think of cops and just think of firefighters. We're also working with dispatchers. Mm-hmm. We're working with paramedics. So emergency right. medical paramedics, services. of course. Yeah. Yeah. And as well as jail based law enforcement. So this could be sheriff's deputies as well as correctional officers. We also work, have worked with parole and probation offices. I've worked with attorney generals. I've also worked mm-hmm. with court staff, including court reporters. So, yeah, so, and military, and we're still working with military. So it really encompasses so much. Primarily, yes, we do work with cops and firefighters. So it's our primary demographic. And mainly because they already have training blocks that can easily fit a yoga training because their job is already physical. Mm -hmm. So they'll already have sort of a a space for this kind of training or something in a training block of time. It's a little bit more creative to try to get it in with the other populations, but we do, we do take care of them as well. I'm so glad I asked that question. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's so fascinating when we spoke last time that, you know, you don't come from a long line of cops and, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't have like a first degree personal connection to first responders yet you've created this whole program and and you've really devoted your life to this. And I think Mm -hmm. it's equally fascinating that before you developed your trainings, you did fire academy and police academy. So can you talk about just what that was like, first of all, as a as just a civilian, and then what you took from those trainings that you incorporate to the way you approach teaching first responders. Yeah. So first off, when you mentioned that I don't have that or didn't have that personal connection at the time, I'm engaged to a former firefighter now. Aww. But that, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That, that was after I started this organization. But it's interesting to me because a lot of people assume that I must have that connection. And I also notice that a lot of people who want to support first responders have a personal connection. And I think that's, you know, probably an obvious reason too. 
But I want us to be careful in thinking that that's the only way or that's a prerequisite, especially if there's someone out there who wants to support and doesn't have that personal connection. So feel they can't or Mm -hmm. they're not part of the family or something. Yeah. You know, because public safety really has that family mentality. It feels that it does feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you're in or you're out, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's, that's actually kind of leads to your second question where that is one of the reasons I attended the Academy and I can talk about that in a minute, but I want to hope put some value to being outside of that family Hmm. because when you're, in it, you have an emotional connection that may be clouding your ability to really be their teacher and be their trainer. I think when we have too much of that emotional connection, we might not be able to really make this uh, structured approach and look at them as my, my students, people I'm training instead of sort of this uh, emotional connection where you might get accidentally wrapped up in their stress and trauma. Hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. And, and, and that's like secondary traumatic stress too. And I've even had to be careful of that myself with students because of, again, I begin to really, you know, love my students and I will have to make sure that I'm doing my work to not take on their stress. So I just want to make sure, you know, that if, if you have no personal connection, it's okay. And there is a value to having a little bit of, of distance from that world as well. Yeah. But as soon as you start going in to teach, they're going to bring you into the family, especially if, if it's well received. So that's actually how I, I got into the classes at the academy was I was teaching, I started with the fire academy first the captain, he's now a captain, just said to me, I think it'd be valuable for you to really understand what they're going through. Mm. Do you want to come and do this with us? So I said, yes. And then I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I know, I would be freaking out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was kind of freaking out. Because if you like, if you <laughs> want to put yourself in on air, like on a limited air supply, in a confined space where you can barely move your body like voluntarily and you're not doing it. There isn't a motivator of like a paycheck at the end. There's a motivator of like, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, you're kind of in there like, why am I doing this? (laughs) You know, why am I here? Yeah. And then I also did classes at the police academy. So why it's valuable and what I learned is that there's way more overlap than I had thought, I had previously thought. So defensive tactics, for instance, there, and and that's, or rest control. This is the, for lack of a better word, fighting (laughs) techniques. And it's not, and I don't want to say fighting because you're not, the point isn't to beat someone up or fight them. Uh It's controlling them because they're going to want to fight you. If you're dealing with a civilian who is drunk, who is mad, there you'll see, I mean, watch cops, right? They're going to want to fight you. And the job of the police officer is to con- maintain them and control them and not get in a fight. So yeah. I don't like using that word fight, but just for the layman's terms, it's body mechanics, how to manipulate your body, how to position your body, how to breathe while moving your body so that you don't you know that that funny image we all have of a big guy putting his hand on someone's forehead and the little guy trying to punch him. Yeah, you know, because yeah. he's an arm distance away. 
that little guy trying to throw punches is going to get tired really quickly. Hmm. But the guy that's holding him back has a locked out arm and is physically engaged and he's not, he's not getting tired at all. So there's a technique in defensive tactics to be able to be efficient in your movement, use your breathing so you don't get tired, but you exhaust the person trying to attack you Mm -hmm. and can control them. So I don't, you may have noticed already some of the words I said might be similar words one might use in a yoga class, your body positioning, moving and breathing, efficiency of energy, right? So as I'm doing this, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's teaching yoga, you know, he's Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, body positioning and the body positioning they're doing are yoga movements, you know? Oh, interesting. Like lunging and yeah. and, Yeah. Yeah. And actually in the training manual, we have a whole section of a police officer and a firefighter doing a body position they would do on the job and then the similar body position uh, on the yoga mat. So, and even mental, mindfulness, mental, I mean, you have to stay alert and present, totally grounded in the present moment when you're doing this kind of thing. So you you do your best you can to not hurt someone, to not escalate the situation. The first step is to de-escalate the situation so you don't actually have to fight. Mm-hmm. So when I was going through this, same thing with like firearms, body positioning, breathing. I mean, so much of this stuff is is mental and there has to have regulation recovery afterwards. So much, so much of it can be supported by yoga if someone just put those dots together. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to put these dots together and show that yoga, because so many people were associating yoga with relaxation and like just at the end of the day, let's go twist our spine on a yoga mat. And no one was relating it to enhancing your performance. Mm. And that's what I learned going through the academies. And also it sounds like enhancing your performance. And another way of saying that is like figuring out the best way to, to respond rather than react, you know, like, because, yeah, Yeah. because it's like, you've got the body mechanics, the breathing and related to that is the emotional regulation, I'm sure that people have to go through so that Mm -hmm. they're not escalating violence, which has got to be like, just phenomenally challenging when like you said, I mean, the way that you put it, you know, 30 years every day going into situations, where you don't know what exactly what you're going to be dealing with, and then going home and having quote, unquote, a normal life. It's Mm -hmm. just like, I never really thought of it that way. So it must be incredibly challenging. And yeah, yeah. Well, and cumulative stress like that, whether it's it doesn't have to be a traumatic event, but like even cumulative stress is having the same effect on our nervous system as a traumatic event. I you're kind of I call it dulling the knife of your prefrontal cortex. You know, you're just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And since it's small things, you don't like if someone has a traumatic event, they might go to counseling, they might do all these things, these healing modalities to help them. But you have small cumulative stress, you don't even think that you need to do that. (laughs) You know, you're not thinking about it, because it's so small. Yeah. And so then it, it accumulates on itself until all of a sudden, you're not sleeping at night, you're drinking heavily, you're doing all the symptoms of having post-traumatic or secondary traumatic stress. Hmm. And when we dull the knife of the prefrontal cortex, what takes over and says, okay, I'm the captain now is our amygdala, our survival. Right. And so, you know, just because someone who goes into public safety, and I learned this even more when I went through those academies, has to be wired a certain way. 
they have to be wired to run towards danger instead of away from it. Hmm. Going through the academies, I know for sure that's not who I am, <laughs> but I'm here to support. But even though someone's wired to go into that profession, their brain and nervous system isn't different than mine or yours. Hmm. They weren't born with a magic brain and nervous system that can be totally cool and calm and in control under immense stress and pressure. So you can't just pretend you're Superman and you know you have to train your mind and your nervous system for these extremely abnormal situations. We are not built to have the worst day of our life every day. So like when someone calls 911, that's one time in their life that's probably the worst day of their life. And that's someone's Tuesday. That's the that's the cop's Tuesday. Yeah, and I'll have this call again in a couple of hours, you know? There has to be proactive training to be able to handle situations like that. And, and there's not, there hasn't been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, I was I teach SWAT officers and I asked them before class recently, I said, hey, how much of your job would you say is like mental? Right. And I thought they were going to say 50-50. They said, oh, 90%. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, cool. Okay. I was like, how much of your job is arousal control, like in yourself, like keeping your, you know, crap together? Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, mm, from start to finish. And I said, this is that training, guys. Yeah. This is training for what you're telling me is 90% of your job. This is that training tool. Yeah. And it didn't exist before. The training is all about tactics, all about you know, the short-term urgency skills rather than the long-term survival skills. Huh. Interesting. I want to just get a sense so I can everyone can kind of picture it. Talk me through a typical kind of span of time that you would teach a squad or, you know, firefighters, how many sessions, how long are the sessions and how do you structure it? Like if I went to one of these classes, would it seem like a quote unquote typical Hatha yoga class or are there things that are clearly different? Yeah, that's a great question because our foundation is traditional Hatha yoga. Mm -hmm. That is our foundation. I am not I'm adding some things to it, but I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It's it's Hatha yoga. And it's always structured with breath work at the beginning, the physical drills. So, okay, all right. Breath, tactical breath work, physical drills, and neurological reset. That's our protocol. Hmm. Now, what are those things in Hatha yoga? Pranayama, asana, and then dhyana, dharana, meditation at the end, right? So I'm just changing the names. And that's how we're different. And do you use that, th that updated language with them? Or is it just Correct. like that's okay, interesting? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't use any Sanskrit. Not that I don't think we should use Sanskrit. And I love Sanskrit. I made sure that if I ever teach a public class, which is rare now, but I actually make myself use my Sanskrit teaching tool, because I think it's beautiful, and it's important. But it is one of the can be an isolating factor, especially if you're teaching to a group who is ready to criticize you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's how I'm always approached, but a lot of times I'm teaching training that's mandated and I always get a great response. But at the beginning they have their arms crossed being like, all right, who is this woo woo witch ready to teach me about black magic? Yeah. You know that, I mean, that's what they think yoga is about. Yeah. So I can't give them 
you know, fuel for their fire by coming in and being like, namaste, everyone. I mean, these people would rip you to shreds. And by ripping you to shreds, they don't do it a criticizing way. They may later, but to your face, they'll just start teasing you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they'll start going, namaste in bed, blah, blah, blah. You know, they'll like, they'll, so let's take that out of the loop. Let's, let's not jump through that hoop and let's get straight to business. And so that's a great way to sort of describe our protocol is we take away any of the stuff that actually might be distracting from the practice. And if we really open our awareness, next time we go to a yoga studio, how much in that studio or how much does a teacher use some other things that distract us from the real mirror that yoga is trying to hold up that self-awareness mirror that self-reflection that that self you know svadhyaya that like self-study mm-hmm. you know and how much is distracting from that because of the playlist because of the incense, because of the, here are our announcements for the month, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever's being said. And again, I'm trying not to criticize studios because there's studios work for people, but I'm just saying for the population I'm teaching. Yeah, different culture. Lot, right. It's a, gonna, it's a lot of distraction versus let's get straight to brass tacks and what, what we're training here. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that's kind of what you're going to you're going to find you're going to find our classes are held in the same energy as other training that they do we really want to match the energy that they're receiving elsewhere so they subconsciously associate it with their job hmm. instead of thinking oh it's yoga day we get a day off today it's just yoga training so how you know do you I mean? do that do you make the asana portion p- p- pretty challenging for them is that what you mean by matching the energy that can be a way. I'm actually try, talking more energetically because the the physical part, the asana, that can be scaled depending. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if they had a really tough day on the fire ground, I'm not going to kill them, you know, physically. But energetically, when I walk in, I'm their new commander. Mm. For that hour, I'm their boss. If we come in a little bit too with an energy of I don't know, a soft energy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're going to capture the attention of type A personalities, you know? Yep. So that's another thing I learned in the academies is what I'm seeing, what their other trainers, how they're talking to them, the energy they come in with. Why should I be different? Why do, Just because I'm a yoga teacher, why do I have to come in with an apologetic energy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and listen, this is not for everyone, you know, and I'm not saying everyone should teach, teach from your own voice. In fact, I say to my teachers that I'm teaching when we talk about energy of a leader, which is what we train our teachers to be. I'm not asking you to change who you are, but can you bring out that side of you that is ready to lead a room and and hold space for a group of people that may be all men, may be in uniform, you know, and might feel a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. Like, can you, can you bring that energy and and hold that space. Andrea, I always taught this way. Like, I think this is why this really worked for me. Cause when I taught yoga, I taught the way my teacher in India taught me, which was breathe now, <laughs> like just very direct, you uh-huh. know? And so I'm like, let's get to business, man. Let's train, let's do some yoga here. And someone 
wrote a complaint about me saying that I teach yoga like a drill sergeant. <laughs> and when I saw that, I thought they were probably hoping to like insult me. And I said, Oh my God, thank you. Yeah. You're like, yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. So I guess more energetically and, and it also doesn't mean yelling at people. Like when we teach our neuro reset, which is our mindfulness and meditation portion at the end, sometimes actually kind of going into the yoga nidra world with some of our exercises, my voice might come down a little bit to meet the energy of that portion of class, which is recovery regulation. But still, they can trust that I'm holding the space because of the strength in my voice. So I'm not saying yelling at someone. I'm saying have that voice that they're safe Mm -hmm. and they can trust you as a leader. If we're too apologetic when we teach or just, you know, a little bit softer when we teach or sing song when we teach, I think subconsciously we're not giving the message that it's a place that we're in charge of. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of of children, you know, like when they are at different stages where they're really testing boundaries they're sort of looking for a space, right, where the, where they can push through the boundary. And so mm-hmm. if you're faced with a room full of people who are perhaps skeptical about what's about to happen, they are unconsciously looking for a space to doubt you, I think, perhaps. Yes. So, no, I think that's a great, great comparison. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to just be firm with that boundary. And like you said, yeah, just being firm and calm and direct. It sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. And um, I think that that's a really great comparison to make because I think that they are trying to find the vulnerable spot that they can then break. Mm-hmm. Like, see, see, this isn't for us. <laughs> right, because <laughs> they're uncomfortable too. You know, they're probably- not. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's, that's totally it. They are, a lot of them who've never done it before are uncomfortable. They're fearful of looking stupid or looking bad or looking inadequate because their job, the job description is for them to save the day. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they look bad, they're afraid it's, I mean, their ego is going to be hurt. They're going to look bad to to their peers. So their defense mechanism is to find a fault in you or to tease or whatever. And listen, I'm kind of making it look bad right now. It's actually not, we get, we have a lot of people that are open to this and loving it and you know, I'm sure. really excited yeah. about the training. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just have to kind of, I mean, it sounds like you have to go in culturally informed. And that's, that's exactly, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we say. <laughs> you know, we're job specific, and we're culturally informed. Mm-hmm. And that's what our training is. And as soon as we start coming in and saying, hey, this is going to help you with X, something on the fire ground, you can use this on the fire ground, you can use this in your patrol car. They're like, oh, she knows her stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I better listen. And and that's what our trainings do. So some teachers, I get an email that's like, I'm a 500,000 million hours <laughs> yoga teacher. I don't need to come to training, right? No, this is what our training is about to have, you know, great, take everything you know about yoga, but we're going to add in the job specific and culturally informed elements. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, if I were going into that situation, I would want to be really prepared. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you teach the first responders in their department setting. Mm-hmm. And 
Is it because it's typically mandated that so it's just easier for you to go to their setting? Do you think there are any advantages to being in their space? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the only way, to be honest. Sometimes it is mandated, so it's just going to be in their training facility because that's where they're holding training. But even if it weren't, we would still go there because, again, it goes to that subconscious message we're trying to give them that this training is part of the rest of their training. What our goal is, is that yoga is not going to be this weird, oh, we're going to try yoga today, this outside sort of adjunct training tool, that it becomes a basic training skill that they're learning. And so if they're doing hose drills, if they're doing ladders, if they're doing, you know, driving and it's all on their facility, why do they have to go somewhere else for yoga? Hmm. We are the yoga element of the first responder world. We're not the first responder element of the yoga world. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're going to come to them like our yoga pants that have our branding on it are 511. 511 is the pants that cops and firefighters wear, Hmm. you know, so it's not Lululemon. Uh And so, so that just gives you an example because are the guys going to want to wear Lululemon men's yoga pants? Are they going to wear 511 tactical pants? They're going to want to wear the tactical pants. Let's just slap on a YFFR logo on it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of an example of, of if we're going to be culturally informed, then we as the yoga community have to bring the yoga to them and not ask them to come to us. Yeah. And you even in one of your videos, I saw you even have at a certain point, certain classes wear the bunker gear, like wear the the fire gear. Yeah, yeah, we actually did that. I was talking to you earlier about that 24 hour training we did. And they only the first class wasn't in bunker gear. I taught 12 yoga classes in 24 hours. <laughs> And only the first one was not in bunker gear. And then in our fire academy, they have, they lead up to wearing bunker gear little by little and then using a training tool for air management and then totally being on their SCBA, which is self-contained breathing apparatus. It's their air bottle. I do want to mention here, whenever I say that, I want to make it clear that we train our teachers on how to safely and effectively put people in gear doing yoga and on air doing yoga. And I really, so, you know, if a yoga teacher is teaching in a fire department right now and they think that's cool, like just be cautioned that I really, I've done it myself, you Mm -hmm. know, and I would never ask anyone to do anything I haven't done. So I've done a full 60 minute yoga class with a, on a breathing apparatus and we have our teachers in training in full gear and doing fire and police skills. So they've done it too. Yeah. So just to make sure that you have your proper training before you ask someone else to do something that could be potentially dangerous if you don't know how to do it correctly. Right, right. Don't take it lightly. Yeah. Talk to me about some successes of uh, that students have talked to you about where they've felt like they've tapped into their yoga on the, while on the job. Well, I have a recent one, which is cool. So I was hoping you'd ask me this because (laughs) this actually happened last week. I was at a 24-hour training called Developing High Performance and they were doing, you know, search and rescue drills. They were doing ladders, crazy PT. They were doing yoga. They would get, it was supposed to mimic a 24-hour shift. So they would get, they'd be allowed to go to sleep and then called, you know, two hours later to do, you know, whatever training they had to do. The training was not necessarily to train them how to do their skills better. It was actually to train them how to have 
mental toughness, how to control their mind and their nervous system for really high stress situations, which is why they had the yoga element there. So at the end of the training, which was, this was around, I want to say 1030 in the morning, 10 in the morning, (laughs) I had them around and we led them through a, a meditation. And then I asked them, I said, can you tell me a couple training tools that you have? I said, it doesn't have to be yoga, just in this 24 hour period, what's a new tool that you have in your toolbox? And they were all the the number one thing with everyone was the breath work for sure. Mm. But one guy said to me, you know, I was in the search and rescue maze and I was in a confined space. So, you know, couldn't really move and I had to get through it. And I was really about to kind of freak out. I was not happy. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, I'm just doing yoga. I literally did the same position you know, with Olivia an hour ago. So I'm just going to pretend I'm doing yoga right now. So when you're pretending you're doing yoga, you're moving as you breathe, you're saying like we add some cognitive behavioral exercises too, like saying affirmative thoughts. (sighs) And so I'm going to use my affirmative thoughts. I'm going to move, I'm going to breathe. And he's like, and then I was, I was done. I was out of it. So I mean, that was such a success story to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he could he could feel it in his body and then like give the message to his mind, like you're fine. You're okay. You're, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, if you're in a confined space and you're trying to crawl through, you're in baby Cobra. Hmm. So, and when I have them in baby Cobra, I'm asking them to feel the breath, three part breathing from the belly, the ribs up to the chest. And so feel it in baby Cobra. Then when you find yourself in baby Cobra again, your mental connection is, oh, I'm in baby cobra. What do I do in baby cobra? I breathe. And then as soon as you find your breath, then you have your faculties about you. You can think clearer. You can calm yourself down. You can save your air supply. So we're trying to have, you know, you always default to what you know during stress. So if you've been trained in yoga enough that your default is when you're stressed is to actually control your breathing, you know, that's what we want. That's what's going to really have that short-term tactical response. So you actually enhance your performance, but it's also going to keep your nervous system in a good place as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure these people are in, you know, doing such physical jobs every day. You know, I have to think a lot about body mechanics because of the potential for injury, especially as you age, you know, I'm just getting a mm-hmm. little older and I'm like, wow, my body feels different in everything that I do. Do you, have you found, have they talked to you and said like, wow, I'm not, my back isn't hurting as much. Or, you know, when I, when they're doing Mm -hmm. certain things, they're doing them a little bit differently because they understand their body better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny, they're seeing it when they're, if they skip yoga, then they see like how much it's helped. Mm -hmm. You know, even my, my fiance, so he was a firefighter. And when we were doing yoga, at his department consistently, his back was fine. He stopped doing it for a while as we were moving to Colorado and stuff, and his back started to act, act up again. Mm-hmm. And he really knew that it was the yoga that was that that factor. I, I get that response a lot. I think that people are more body aware, and I think that you know our our body is holding on to stress. That's why we actually feel tight and stiff. It's the fascia, it's the connective tissue that are kind of locking up. So I think that when you when you're able to move the body and you process that stress out, you're going to feel better physically. That's why your back stops hurting. Oh yeah, um, that's true. You're, yeah, you're going to mm-hmm. feel your hips are going to feel better. 
So it's this combination of we're going through the portal of the body for a bigger result. And that's just overall feeling more balanced. And we're using the, the physical body as a tool. I think a lot of people think that we're doing the physical practice for flexibility and strength. Mobility and strengthening small muscles is a nice benefit of yoga, but that's not necessarily just the the main objective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More of a holistic result is what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you have students who have taken your classes who have then done your training and are teaching now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have some great stories of our teachers who actually are not 200-hour trained teachers. There, We have a 60-hour training, um, and we're actually developing a 200-hour training as well. But it's a 60-hour training, and then they're trained specifically to teach our protocol in a department. Gosh, some of our teachers who do not have a 200-hour training are just killing it. I mean, they're just getting so popular. Everyone's loving it. And the more that they're doing it and teaching it, the better they're getting. They're diving into their own practice even more. Yeah. And the two that stick out for me is our officer at Seattle Police Department. She came to a training demo I did. Training demos, when I say that, it's um, a presentation, like a lecture presentation, where I talk about what yoga is, what it's not, why it's good for law enforcement. And then we do a mat class afterwards, like a, a workshop mat class. So she came to one of those. And then she's like, I'm coming to your training. Whenever the next one is, I'm doing it. So she came and she actually ended up doing, at the end of that training, she asked if she could do the, the two-hour yoga class in her full gear with her belt on her vest and everything. <sighs> and I have a cool picture of that somewhere. But So she did that. She and a couple other people from Seattle Police Department, all of them officers, none of them have 200-hour trained you know, yoga but they are taking our training, our protocol, our curriculum, and the department is just exploding with it. In fact, they've invited the bomb, like the bomb dogs to come. I have the cutest pictures. Really? Oh my gosh, that's I amazing. I see this picture. It's, a, it's the dogs are doing down dog oh and the gosh. police officers are doing it. It's so freaking cute. So um, we're actually going to be doing our next training in Seattle Police Department or our next training, like in two trainings from now in Seattle Police Department because they need help. They need more teachers because these three teachers are just killing it. That's awesome. And then the other one that I'm thinking of, which I love these guys, they're from Henderson, Kentucky Fire Department. Mm-hmm. We adore them. They absorbed it so well because we our t- training isn't intensive. It's 10 hours a day for six days. Mm-hmm. And so they just absorbed it. They ate it up. They committed to it. They're teaching such great classes, but it's just so cute because they have this thick Southern accent. And when they're teaching yoga, it's just, I love it with that thick, thick accent, these Kentucky firefighters. Yeah, but I love we that adore accent. Them. Yeah, we adore them. And so they're, it's, I mean, they're just doing so, so great. So it also shows you do not need a yoga background. Great if you do, great if you don't, doesn't matter. This is a whole new beast. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's so exciting to see that you're able to have that impact where it's being embraced on that level because I think, you know, with any community that's sort of quote unquote outside the yoga norm, and I I mean, I hate to say that because yoga's from India, like we know this, right? right. Like we're not the norm, but in the West, we are the norm. It's always just so helpful when it's being taught by people who 
kind of completely relate to what you're going through and who you are and what your day-to-day life mm-hmm. is like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's such a testament to what you're doing that people want to do the training who are on the inside. That's great. Yeah, no, we get a lot of that. In fact, that's uh, probably 50% of our demographic are people sent by their department departments to teach within their departments, you know, and then the rest might be civilian yoga teachers, but I think it keeps it more pure that way too. Like I was saying before, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of cloud the message, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they know, Hey, this is why we're doing it, man. Like, Mm -hmm. and they just get to get to work on it. Yeah, that's great. What are your hopes looking forward for your organization? Well, my hope is that, and it's starting to, the needle's starting to move on this, that we're, it's a basic training tool and that the curriculum we developed is the standard curriculum. And for other basic skills, they have qualifications they have to meet. So every year they might have to test and and make sure their qualifications are up for that subject. I want that for yoga. And by yoga, I mean self-regulation skill. Can you control your mind and body in a high-stress situation? Mm. And I've thought of a couple ways of us testing that qualification through heart rate variability, monitoring, air management monitoring. Mm. So different ways that we could test that. But right now, it's still being introduced as like, oh, this is cool and neat and could be useful. And a lot of people are finding it useful. And I really want it to be plugged in as a basic mandated training tool. Mm-hmm. But we're, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you want to develop a 200 hour. So how are you thinking that will be structured in terms of how much of it will be this tactical spe- protocol specific training and how much of it will be broader yoga training? Mm-hmm. So we will be working with, so one of our, um, he's our board member. He has been working with us from the beginning. Um, one of our senior teachers name is Jeff Masters and his organization is the Masters Institute. And he already has a 200 hour training curriculum that's developed. He's also a military veteran. He's, he's been teaching from our training since the beginning. We're about to do our 12th training and he's taught from the beginning. So what we want to do is modify it a bit so that 60 hours of YFFR training is part of the 200 hours. Mm, mm-hmm. So we would do, we haven't decided exactly the schedule yet, if it would be once a month or whatever, because I know we're going to get a lot of out of town people once a month or whatever that would look like. They would have their weekend module, but then they'd have the one week intensive, which would be the YFFR training. So it would be, our goal is that it would be covering you as a 200 hour trained teacher for anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, but it has this angle, this YFFR angle to it. Yeah. That sounds great. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 Well, is there anything I missed before we, before we go? I just learned so much and I'm excited for everyone else to learn about what you're doing as well. Oh, thanks. I, I mean, I love talking about this stuff and, you know, I guess to, anything to, to know a little bit more about the, the training too, especially since we were just talking about the 200 hour is that we do have, cause a lot of people ask, is this a trauma sensitive yoga training? And I, w- I would not call it a trauma sensitive yoga training, but we, some of our ground rules for teaching are principles from trauma sensitive yoga. Cause that's how I was trained. 
So we do have some of those principles in it. And I do cover what trauma-sensitive yoga is, but our protocol itself isn't necessarily trauma-sensitive yoga classically, but it does have principles from it. So that's good to know if you're wondering if, you Mm -hmm. know, this is a trauma-sensitive training. Yeah, I think, you know, if someone is interested in working with us or coming to training, I think we, lo- we love to have more people like, you know, our soldiers on this mission, because mm-hmm. last year, we've had 120 active teachers that taught over 12,000 students, participants, first responder participants in classes. There's demand for it, we need more teachers. And the only thing I would say is just be open to learning something new that might be different than how you teach now or what you've been assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, just sort of be open to be a, a blank a blank slate. Right. So you're saying you don't have to necessarily, like if you have a calling to teach this population, you don't have to have any sort of specific personality, but the training help will help you acclimate to like the culture and the language that you need to use and the structure. Right. Our training is there to show you the way of this, to kind of talk about the energy to have. And so, yeah, you don't need to, if you have a desire to do it, then that's all you really need. And then when you come there, be that blank slate, be that like, oh, wow, I never thought about it this way. Cause it might be different than you've ever thought about things before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think sometimes there's some personalities who fight that like, well, yeah. that's not what I learned, you know? <laughs> and there's some personalities that are like, whoa, maybe there are two different ways of doing things depending on my audience, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I think if you have a desire to do it and you are ready to learn more, you are right for our training. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, <laughs> Olivia. All the best to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a great time talking with you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, I always appreciate it so much when you share it on social media and share it with your friends. And if you leave a five-star rating and review, even better. It's super helpful for the podcast and for people to find it all over the world. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 182. Stay well, stay safe, and we will see you next week. Enjoy your practice. <laughs>